I'll say this. Um, tonight's message is about wisdom. And it's about um, what what does that wisdom look like? What is it? Um, why do we need it? And how do we get it? Okay. Um, and I want to share this story first because I've been thinking about it and I didn't know where it would fit in. So better place than the beginning. Um, this is just something related to this um, I believe would uh, this part of God's heart, which is wanting to pull us deeper into understanding who He is through His Word. Um, I like um, I like finding I, I let's say this about half the news I read is somehow related to um, animals. I just like animals. That's that's weird. Maybe it's also because I get most of my news from news from Yahoo News. I don't know, but they always seem to have something new. Um, most of the time, it's complete. It's it's not really news about animals, and I find myself reading it. Not too long ago, though, they did have something really, really fascinating. Um, one of my favorite animals has been um, since I was a kid sharks. I don't know why, because they're just mysterious. They're a little, they're not a little scary. They're scary. Like when I went to the the library as a kid, there was two books I I would I would pick up: Curious George. And this other book called Frenzy. And Frenzy was like real life accounts of shark attacks. Complete polar opposites. And, and you know, I, I would read Curious George and I would read Frenzy and then I would go read Curious George again, you know, just to feel a little better afterwards. Anyway, um, not, I'm, I'm getting off course, but so I, I love like things mysterious. Anybody? Like, you like learning something new and you're like, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't know it existed until today, but wow. Um, there's just, I think there's something in us, all of us, like that. We're made to discover. Okay? And uh, so, not that long ago, I read this um, clipping from Yahoo News about this um, fish that they discovered. Anybody hear about this? Um, they, they've discovered this fish um, at a depth that they thought no fish could live at. Five miles deep. In the ocean, five miles. Okay. If you don't know, that is a long way down. And so they thought um, no fish can live at this depth. And the previous known, like safest uh, or deepest depth that a fish could live at was like um, at least half a mile up from this. Is this little snailfish? I wish I could show you the video. That's what they're calling. It. They don't even have a name for it yet. It's this little weird ghost-looking like creature. And there he was, just hanging out, swimming around in uh, the depth of the ocean in a place that they thought no fish could live because the pressure is so immense that it would just crush the thing. And there's this guy who's just like, you know, like doing his thing. And along comes a camera, and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I've been here all along. And when I read that story, you know what was so amazing to me? I just was just thinking, wow, you know, there's so much more than we know. And there's so much more to be discovered. Even the limitations of what we think we know might not be the limitations. In fact, they probably aren't. You know, I mean, you could go, you could go this direction in the ocean, or you can go this direction in the sky, and you'll find the same thing in both ways. Pretty cool. So I always love the ocean. I think it's this amazing metaphor for journey with God. 
Um, when when my wife and I got married, there was this. Um, we started a blog called Discover the Deep because um, there was just this sense that that's what our lives were supposed to be about: discovery with God, discovery of God. And wherever you're at in that journey, guess what? There's more. There's there's deeper places that he wants to take you. There's deeper things that he wants you to discover that are waiting. They're just hanging out there, waiting for you to show up and be like, aha. Do you hear me? There's snailfish for you to find, (laughs) just to marvel at, just to be like, wow, God, you are amazing. And that's the purpose of this thing, wisdom. I want to say that first and foremost off the bat. It's not so we can be smart. It's so that we can understand more clearly who God is and who we are and how we fit to our maker and what he made us for and what his heart is like. Wisdom is meant to point us to the heart of God. I'm way off my notes here, okay? But um, I want to say that wisdom, true wisdom Godly wisdom is the plans and purposes and thoughts of God himself. And as we understand that wisdom, we understand the heart of God. We understand what he's like. We understand what he thinks. We understand what he wants to do in and around us. We need that. We need that kind of wisdom. And so the book of James, I believe, is meant to be a book written for that purpose. Um, the book of James, by many, is considered to be the first um, written book of the New Testament, um, roughly written 30 years after the death of Christ. And it was written to an early church that needed, needed to hear how to live. They needed wisdom on how to live. Um, so I just want to dive in real quickly into a few things um, Again, tonight is sort of a primer on the book, but specifically wisdom, which I think is um, the central theme underpinning everything that James says. Um, So James says in verse 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So who wrote the book? James. Um, We believe it was the brother of Jesus. Most scholars would say, um, that, in fact, it was the brother of Jesus. There were other James. It was a kind of popular name in that day. Um, but we believe it's the brother of Jesus. And who was it written to? It was written to the early church. And he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And um, basically, we believe that's to be um, just another word for the people of God um, who were kind of all over the place and one of the reasons they were scattered was because they were facing persecution not to the degree that um, the church would later face when Saul began to really heavily physically persecute but they were facing persecution of social and economic um, kind so um, as a result there was um, maybe a segregation of God's people a scattering of God's people so um James writes this book, and if you read the book of James, it's very practical. Um, It's very practical um, wisdom for everyday life. And it was written to the early church who, at that time, were in very much in need 
of hearing and knowing and being reminded of how they should live. So, um, in the same way, I believe that uh, the book of James for us is addressing those same ideas. Um, how God wants to work into the most basic areas of our lives with this thing called wisdom. Um, so, I want to talk about, um, real quickly, what is that wisdom like? What is that wisdom like? And, and James actually says there's, there's two types of wisdom. Two types of wisdom. There's not one type of wisdom, there's two. And it's in James 3, verse 13 through 18. So the question is, what is wisdom? And it gets tricky here because not all wisdom is the same. And so James makes uh, a distinction to two types of wisdom. This is what he says in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes, um, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. So James says, actually, when we want to define wisdom, we have to realize that there's actually two types of wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. And... Um, in his examples, you realize that these two things could not be farther from apart. Heavenly wisdom, earthly wisdom. And basically, he sums it up. Heavenly wisdom leads to good things. It bears good fruit. Earthly wisdom, um, not only is it unspiritual, but he says at the essence, it's demonic. Polar opposite. And thus leads to evil. So this heavenly wisdom it comes from god himself and again i said before it's i believe it's in that way it's his plans and his purpose and his thoughts the wisdom of god heavenly wisdom okay and this is what we need to know about wisdom if you don't hear anything else what is wisdom what you need to know is that god's wisdom is completely and utterly different than man's wisdom if you don't hear anything else about the definition here of wisdom, you need to know that it is completely and utterly other and different from man's wisdom. It's oil and water. They do not mix. They are not the same. When we come to talking about the wisdom of God, it will not do for us to take man's wisdom and season it a little bit with God's wisdom. They're completely different things. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying there's two types of wisdom and they're completely different and the fruit of those things is completely different. So hear that, okay? So, um, what is this true wisdom? What is this heavenly wisdom? Um, not only is it God's thoughts and purposes and his um, actions, but... I believe we see very clearly at the core that this wisdom is the gospel itself. This wisdom is, 
has been fully expressed and revealed to us through Jesus himself. So when we talk about the wisdom of God at the core, what we're saying is the plans and purposes and um, thoughts of God and that plan, the plan and purpose and thoughts of God ultimately expressed through Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see the wisdom of God on full display. This is, if you don't believe me, this is what Paul says. And um, these are his words. He says, we preach Christ crucified. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25 we preach christ crucified a stumbling blocks a stumbling block to jews and foolishness to gentiles but to those who god has called both jews and greeks christ the power of god and the wisdom of god christ the wisdom of god for the foolishness of god is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of god is stronger than human strength He says, Jesus is the wisdom of God revealed to us. And yet, to the onlooking world, this wisdom looks foolish. You realize, you know, when, when he hung on the tree, he, um, he died a criminal's death. The worst of any kind. And we say, we're following that guy. The cross was the worst shame that you could um, have in terms of a punishment. To us, it's like, yay, the cross. But you realize, then it would be like, you're following that guy? Foolishness to the world. For us, maybe it's a little different. Today, to say that you follow Jesus in a day and age where um, surely you're smarter than that. That sounds like foolishness. To say, I, I would give up everything for this man who died over 2,000 years ago. That sounds like foolishness. To a world that says, there isn't, we don't even know if there's a God. These things are complete opposites. And here Paul says, look, it's, it's foolishness to those who in their own thinking think they're wise. And yet the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God, in the foolishness of God is a wisdom that no man could attain, no man could come up with. And I said this before, the gospel is a story that's too good to not be true. Because none of us would have ever thought of it. None of us could have come up with this plan that God himself came up with on our behalf. The gospel is complete upside down, backwards thinking to the way the world works. To the environment that we all grew up in. So I'm saying that because I want you to hear that if we're going to embrace the wisdom of God, it means that we have to get in our minds this understanding that the way he thinks, the way he does things, is completely and utterly different. It's, it's not a matter of just splicing the two together, a little bit of common sense and a little bit of kingdom sense. We need kingdom sense. I, I think I might have just came up with that one. So you can use that one. Kingdom sense, that's what we need. That's the wisdom of God. 
Um, if you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, James, his words kind of echo what we hear from Jesus there. But if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's Jesus making these claims about life, a new way of living. That's what this is. And it requires a new way of thinking. You need the wisdom of God. You hear me? Are we good? Okay. That means I can move on. <laughs> sure, yeah. Do you know this is what I was told. The nail was put through his hands. But now I was told it was put through his wrist. Yeah, probably his wrist because Yeah, probably his wrist because his hands wouldn't have held it. Yeah. 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 Good question. I do. I wasn't there, but that's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So at the center of our understanding of the wisdom of God is Jesus, is the gospel, Christ crucified. That's the starting point and the end point for us in our understanding of the wisdom of God. Are you with me? And in fact, um, it's the starting point, and it's the end point. But from that truth, from that amazing truth, comes this unfolding of all sorts of implications for how we live. So God's wisdom is not simply that Christ died on the cross and this plan that was completely um, foreign to us, but God's wisdom is the unfolding of the implications of what he did through the Son. I don't know a better way to say that, but that encompasses the wisdom of God. So it starts and ends with Jesus and the cross and what he did, but it, it, it sort of unfolds outwards from there. And so um, you'll notice that if you read the book of James, he never talks about the cross of Christ. He never talks about, um, he never says the word gospel. He never talks about the good news. And, and what we need to know is actually that is the basis for everything that he says in the book. It's the sort of beginning understanding that he comes to um, when he writes all these things to these early believers. This was written to a group of people who had already said yes to the cross, who had already said, we believe in this foolishness that is the wisdom of God. These people had already said yes to that. So that's the basis by which then James is saying all these things on how they should live in light of that. So the wisdom of God is what he's done through the Son, but it's also the way we walk out our lives in light of that. You follow me? So let's go to next. Why do we need this wisdom? We need it first and foremost for um, the perseverance of our, sorry, the um, preserving of our souls. We need it for, um, because without it we would perish. And, and in fact, we hear that the wisdom of God said that it's not his will, his desire that anyone should perish, anyone should be separated from him. And that's why he sent the Son. So that's the starting point. But again, here, this book was written to a group of people who already believed. Okay, So why did they need it? And why do we need it? 
They needed it for this, um, for the uh, preserving work that it was, but they needed it for day-to-day living after that. Um, here's another way to put it. It's important for us to know that living like Jesus, it doesn't happen automatically. So you say yes to him. You say, I am all in. This wisdom, this foolishness is the wisdom of God, and I embrace it. I'm on board with it. You might even be like, I don't understand it fully, but I'm in. That's just the beginning. And in fact, the reason James is writing this book is he's writing it to a people who started there, but they're not continuing there. They said yes to Jesus, but they failed to see the way that embracing that work of the cross is meant to unfold itself, reveal itself through every area of their life. And so they've begun to walk in error. They've begun to walk into things that are not in line with the truth they've received. James, he, he says, this is the whole reason I'm writing this letter. And it's at the end of James 5, which is the last chapter. Um, you'd think the explanation would come at the beginning, but it actually comes at the end. And this is what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, Brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a a multitude of sins. He's saying, I want you to live. I want you to continue in the wisdom that you embrace through Jesus himself. I want to see that wisdom played out in your life here and now. So that's why he wrote them this book. You follow me? So it's not enough for us to just say yes to God and not let that same wisdom show up in our day to day. And it should change, absolutely change the way we live. It should absolutely change the way that we think. But there's a challenge because it doesn't happen automatically. Just as surely as we've grown up in environments, ways of thinking, patterns of living that seemed normal before Jesus, when you accept him, those things don't change overnight. Some of them might, but not all of them do. So we need this continual refining and reminding of what is his thoughts what is his plans what are his purposes so that they will become ours with me that's not an automatic thing and that's why james is writing this letter for those that have forgotten for those that have ignored it for those that haven't seen the connections and so when you read james 2 onward you'll see he starts to address some very specific ways that this wisdom of God is meant to show up in our lives day to day. Where if you say, I love him, you say, I follow him, it should show up in the way that you live. Okay? So that's the reason he's writing this letter. All right, I'm going to speed on to, lastly, how do, we, how do we attain this wisdom? Um. How do we attain it? I'm going to share three things from James 1. And it may seem really simple and basic to the point where it might just go, you might be tempted to just let it go over your head or in one ear and out the other. But just hear me out, okay? And pay attention. Um, Three things. (laughs) I like you, man. Ask, 
receive, <laughs> respond. Ask, receive, respond. Doesn't that seem very obvious? Well, let's break it down a little bit. James 1.5, he says, Ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The first thing is ask. And that seems incredibly simple and basic and obvious, but hear me. What do you normally ask for? You ask for the things you need or the things you want, don't you? Correct. So if you're not asking, usually it may be because either you don't need it or you don't think you need it. He says, ask for wisdom from God. I guess a question for all of us is, how much do we want to know Him? Again, back to that picture of the ocean. Are we okay with hanging out on the surface, or do we want to go deeper? That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about just having some facts and information. We're talking about knowing the God of this universe more, who longs for us to know Him. And, and that's the part of this. He says, ask, because guess what? God is longing to pour out generously a revelation of who he is, an understanding of what he's like, what his thoughts are, what his purposes are. Do not settle for letting somebody else do that for you. Do not settle with being okay to let someone else explore the deep and you get their leftovers. That's for you. That's the heart of God for each of you. Are you with me? If you don't agree, it's right here. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault. He's not going to look at you and say, sorry, you don't get any because of this or that. He's already in agreement with that prayer. So, if we're not asking, maybe it's because we don't really want it as much as we think. And if that's the case, it's probably because we don't know how good it is. We don't know how awesome it is in the ocean. Some of us might be afraid of what we might find. If, if you could ask for one thing, what would it be from God? If God came to you and said, what do you want from me? What would it be? <laughs> okay, that's called eternal life. You can have that <laughs> through Jesus. So there was this man that happened to. God came to him and he said, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, Solomon. And you know what he said? I want wisdom. He said, I want wisdom. And you know what God said? God said, okay, well, I'll give you wisdom. And since you didn't ask for money or fame or all these other things, I'll give you those too bonus you got the right answer it was like if you don't if you don't get i think god was really happy that he asked for wisdom and he really wanted to give it to him if god came to you tonight and said what do you want more than anything else what would your answer be would it be to know him more would it be to have access to the secret secret things of god through friendship, relationship, to know his heart? I'll just be honest. It's easy for that to not be the thing that I want. 
and I want to be back there. And I want more of that. And it starts with asking. It starts even before that with a desire. So if you don't have that desire, you don't know what you're missing out on yet, and I'm talking about this, and you're like, okay, dude, I want to challenge you to ask God to show you how awesome he is, how amazing he is, and to see what happens. But I want to warn you, be ready. <laughs> I don't know if you can be, but be ready for what's next. If, if you're not in that place, I would say start with asking for desire. God, I, I don't yet have a hunger where I would say, the thing I want is to know you more. So would you start with giving me a desire for that? Would you start with even just revealing a glimpse of who you are that would allow me to say, I need more of that. I want more of you. That's the first thing. Receive is the second. You notice at the end of that first part, there's a promise and says that he's going to pour out generously. In order for God to pour out generously, not only do you have to ask, but you have to be ready to receive. You have to be ready to receive. And you know what is the thing that will get in the way of the ability to receive more than anything else? Holding on to the thing you have to let go of. This is what James says in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. He says, let go of so that you can receive. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept God's gift to you. In order to do that, you might have to let go of things. If you want the wisdom of God when He speaks, you might have to be ready to let go of what you've been embracing instead. Something that you might have thought was so normal and acceptable and um, okay. But oftentimes, it's not like it's just this void waiting for the wisdom of God to come. It's We've been acting in our own wisdom. We've been doing things based on what we thought was the norm. And God says, you ready for this? You, you asked, are you ready to receive it? This is what it should look like. This is what my love really is like. This is what my kingdom really is like. This is what it really means to follow me. And then you're going to have to make a choice if you're going to receive that word. So, you know, for all of us, it's probably not... Um, it may be one or two things. It may be, uh, it's usually like segments of our lives that God's saying, okay, will you let my wisdom break through? Will you let my wisdom enter in? Will you um, humbly submit to that instead of saying, no, God, I, I can do it better. My ways are working fine. Receive. And the last one is respond. This is what he says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So God... He can move in your heart to ask 
He can move in your heart through an exchange to give you what you ask for. But wisdom is only good when we walk in it. Wisdom is only beneficial when we walk in the truth of it. Do you believe that? Again, that's another way that the wisdom of the world is different. You can just have it all here and, man, that person, they're smart. But in his kingdom, the wisdom is only good if you walk in it. Solomon asked for wisdom, and guess what? He got it in a measure that no one had gotten it. This is what it says in 1 Kings 4.30. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Pretty smart dude. But you know what? It wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. And here's why. Solomon's biggest downfall came when he stopped walking out the wisdom that he received. It wasn't enough to just get it. And in the same way, we can hear what God says all day long, but if we don't walk in it, it's, it's really not worth its weight. And I would suggest that maybe in that way, we don't need as much new information as we think. Maybe what we need more than anything is to act on what we've already heard. So I want to close in prayer, and I want to, I want to close with that question. What have you heard? What has God spoken that you need to act on? It could be something tonight, but it could be something that He's been speaking maybe even over and over again for a while and he's waiting for you to not just say I agree with the word but he's waiting for you to say I will live in it. Let's pray. Jesus, I... I um I thank you for your grace tonight. I thank you that you are longing to speak truth to your people that allow us to see who you are and allow us to be more like you. Allow us to see your heart, your thoughts, plans, and purposes, and for those same things to become ours. In order for that to happen, we need new way of thinking. Completely new way of thinking. So we're asking God, I ask for um, you to pour out Lord, I pray for each person in this room in their um, individual time with you that there would be a hunger that stirs up that says, God, I want to know you more. And that there would be an, simultaneously an expectancy based on the promise 
that your generosity, in your generosity, you're longing to pour out if we just prepare and be ready to receive it. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us, God, that we wouldn't be deceived through retaining more information and thinking that's the goal. Because if we don't act on it, we will not become more like you in that way. And the goal is to be more like you. And so I pray, God, that you would reveal in your grace and your mercy ways that um, we've not acted on what you've already spoken, God. And rather than seeking to learn something new, God, I pray that we would submit ourselves, humble ourselves to your word, let it have its complete work in us so that we might live. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? Thank you that you're ready and willing to be the force behind us actually walking through with what you've called us to. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.